this morning, Tyler Community Church, would y'all stand as we just worship together this morning? Oh, there is a endless song echoes in my soul. Oh, I hear the music ring, and though the storms may come, I am holding. To the rock I cling. Sing it out, church. Oh, how can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your
chosen to worship with us this morning. Welcome again. If this is your first time, I hope you feel especially welcome here at Island Community Church. We're going to take a moment just to greet one another. So turn to your neighbor and just say hi. Thank you for this day, God. Thank you so much for the opportunity just to come and gather together and just praise your name, God, and just worship you uh, as your body, God. Thank you for life, God. Thank you for all the blessings that you give us, God. And I just pray that um, our praises will be sweet uh, in your in your ear today, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, Rio. 
Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your Worship you, Lord. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to see your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let
Hey! 
Lord, for you are worthy. Oh, how marvelous, Lord. We are grateful, Lord, that you took our debt, that you took our payment on the cross. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Our hearts are just full of joy. We are so, so grateful, Lord. We praise you. We praise you, Father. Amen, church. Y'all be seated. I'm thankful for my dad and my mom. Are you? Do you have brothers and sisters too? Do you, you thankful for them? Yes. And what are you thankful for, William? God. My, um, my fish. Your fish? What's his name? Um, I got a fish at school name. Um, I don't remember its name. My Balance Air cards and the my brother's video games. My MP3 player. <laughs> You're thankful for that. And my family. What are you thankful for? Cookies. What kind of cookies? Chocolate. Well, good morning, y'all. How are you? Is it good to see y'all this morning? Uh, you doing okay? Well, good. Um, I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here. If you're new this morning, a special welcome to you. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. Um, if you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 17. I was told that I don't have time for an introduction today, and so I will just skip it. Luke chapter 17, we'll go straight to the Word. We have been in the middle of a series, Let's Talk About Life, and we have been studying Luke chapter 17. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The Gospel, by the way, if you hear my voice do what it's doing right now today, just have some empathy. It's fall. Season is changing. My throat is going crazy. It's fun. And so just understand, okay, I'm not going through puberty again. I don't think. Um, Michelle may differ with you. Anyway, Luke chapter 17. The gospel writer Luke, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit of God, is making over and over and over, make, making sure that we are aware where Jesus is heading here in this section of Scripture. Where he is heading is to Jerusalem. These are real events that happen in a real place called Israel. Jerusalem is a real city, still exists today. And Luke makes sure that we understand that Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. And why is that? Because Jerusalem is the place that Jesus had set his face toward. He was heading there with a purpose. And the purpose that he was heading to Jerusalem for was the purpose that God sent him to earth for. And that purpose was that he might lay down his life for his friends. Jesus came to live, yes. But Jesus came to die. Jesus came to live to fulfill perfectly 
those requirements that God had set for all of us to fulfill, but none of us have. And Jesus came to die to take on the punishment that is due every sin. And though he did not sin, he came to take on sin so that those of us who do sin might have the ability to accept his righteousness as our own. And he takes our condemnation as his own. And in this is called the gospel. And it is good news for sinners like you and me that Jesus came to live so that we might have a perfect standing with God. And he came to die that our sin might be taken away. I never get tired of the gospel. Amen? We have a wonderful Savior, and His name is Jesus. There is one name under heaven by which men must be saved, and His name is Jesus. And Philippians 2, which I read yesterday, says, There is coming a day when every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. And I pray more than anything else you hear me say today, I hope you know this that Jesus loves you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what is going on in your life right now. He loves you. He knows you. He loves you enough that he came to lay down his life for you. And if you will just receive from him, turn to him, bow your knee, and say, what a wonderful Savior you are. He calls you friend. Isn't that good news? Well, I wasn't planning to say any of that. Sorry, Robbie, I did my introduction anyway. It wasn't even an introduction. It's just the gospel. But over and over, Luke is talking to us about the gospel. And even when he says little things like, and he's heading toward Jerusalem, it's the gospel because Jesus is going to die in Jerusalem. This is what it's all about, folks. Don't waste your life. Your life is about Jesus. Amen? Love him. Cherish him. Treasure him. Don't be scared to say, I love Jesus. He's everything to me. Because if he didn't come and he didn't die, I would be nothing. That's my testimony. I hope it's yours too. Anyway, Luke 17. So he's heading through Jerusalem. And he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. It's like if we were downtown and we're just walking around and I wanted to just talk to you. I want to be intentional about investing in you, mentoring you. This is what Jesus is doing there with his disciples. He's speaking to them about life. Because the gospel, his presence in our life, his love for us in our life has to do with our everyday life. It's not a Sunday thing. It's not a 10-minute morning thing. It's an everyday, every-moment thing, this Jesus thing. The fact that we love him and that he loves us is an everyday, every-moment thing. Y'all got me? It affects everything. And here in Luke 17, Jesus has been talking first about how it affects our relationships. We studied how the way he relates to us changes the way that we relate to others, especially as it relates to forgiveness. Then... We talked about how the gospel affects our faith. Jesus says if we just had faith like a mustard seed, the smallest of faith, if we just in the tiniest way understood the power of God, all things would be possible. The fact that he loves us and he has all power over all things should give us faith and confidence today. It should make us walk with certainty and assurance of his word and of his presence, and of his power today. The gospel gives us faith. And then third, we talked about last week there in those verses that I love so much. We discussed last week. If you missed it, you can listen online. I encourage you to do so. But the gospel gives us humility. The fact that we know Jesus puts us in the right position in life. 
We don't try to grab the throne. We bow before the throne. We understand, when we understand who he is and who we are, we will live in a place of humble dependence and submission to him. Humility. And then fourth, we get to this next passage of scripture, starting here in verse 11. And today, we're going to be seeing again Jesus breaking into our everyday life to your life today. And he's wanting to teach us today about gratitude. About gratitude. And so we're going to be looking at this passage and walking through it together. And then seeing what Jesus would have to say to us and what it means for our life. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem... Where is he heading? Jerusalem. Jesus is going there to die. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, He said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for, for this foreigner? And he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Lord, we praise your awesome name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Lord, we just come to you today with a heart of praise, and we just thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy in our life, in my life. Where would I be without you, Lord? Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your generosity. I pray, Lord, that as we approach your word this morning, that you would truly speak to us more about who you are. Our greatest desire is to know you, Lord. Speak to us about who you are, God. Bring your presence into this place today and show us, God, the proper response of grace, a heart full of gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is one of five healings that is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Now, Jesus did way more than five healings. We know that. The book of John says you couldn't even, they're they're not even libraries big enough to hold the number of books that it would take to to store up all that Jesus did here on this earth. Isn't that cool? We only have a taste of it. But Luke, in his gospel, records five healings, and this is one of them. Jesus, again, Luke tells us, again, on his way to Jerusalem, goes to an area between Samaria and Galilee. He's passing between cities on his way toward Jerusalem. And he comes into this village, and when he gets into the village, 
often there at the city gates, and I don't know if this particular had a gate, this particular village had a gate, but we do know he's going into a village. And often you have people gathering around. Jesus had people gathering around all the time, and he's probably making his way into a city center, somewhere kind of like downtown where you've got people out and about. And there on the street are who? Lepers. Ten lepers. Now, last October, when we were studying Luke chapter 5, I told you a little bit about leprosy. I want to recap just a little bit about leprosy so that you understand exactly what this disease is. Because if you don't understand it in its fullness, you'll miss the miracle, the awe, the wonder of what's taking place here. Leprosy uh, today is known as Hansen's disease. If those of you in the medical community, you can go look it up. And when you look it up, its proper name, Hansen's disease. It causes skin sores. It causes nerve damage. It causes muscle weakness. I'm quoting here. It's characterized by lesions on the skin, nodules, thickened skin, damage to nasal passages. Serious multibacillary leprosy can lead to the loss of limbs. The loss of feeling prevents the adequate care of cuts or burns or extremities, which lead to gangrenous infections and eventual amputation. It is a horrible, horrible disease. It was one of the most horrible diseases in Jesus' day. You see here some pictures of those who have been infected by leprosy. And it's a slow-moving disease. It happens over a longer period of time. And sometimes you get it and you don't know you have it until after a longer period of time. But eventually it leads to this disformity. It, it takes away your, your, your feeling. There's not really pain associated with leprosy. It, is, it takes away your feeling, but... The fact that you can't feel, the fact that your nerves don't have any feeling and they don't work leads to all kinds of problems, you can tell, and it leads to gradual decay and muscle weakness. And it, it is a horrible, horrible condition and, and contagious. Lepers were considered unclean. Leviticus chapter 13 prescribes that the lepers would go around saying, unclean, unclean. They were essentially pushed out of all social contact. They were ostracized. They were moved from in the city to outside the city gates. They were forbidden to touch anyone except others who had been infected with this disease. It moved them into this category of not only being physically unclean, but it also was looked at as those who are spiritually unclean, as leprosy, there was a lot of correlation with sin and leprosy. God had even given people leprosy because of sin. Now, it wasn't always the case, but that's how it was viewed in this day. And so unclean, unclean, this image, this identity that I am one who is totally messed up, totally gross. I'm a reject. Nobody can be around me. They wore the color black because they were said to be walking among the living dead. They were on their death march, almost like death row. And leprosy was thought to be incurable by any human means. There was no way that any leper in that day could be cured outside of the power and provision and the grace of God. Imagine yourself as one of these lepers. Imagine today that you got a disease like this that no one knew the cure for, 
that separated you and your closest friends, separated you and your family, the hugs that you're used to, no more. The coffee conversations you're used to, no more. The identity and the work that you're used to and that you hold on to. You can't do it anymore. You're an outcast. You're a reject. Imagine the feeling of despair, of hopelessness, of helplessness. Can you imagine it? And here we have this group of lepers. It's a group made up of Jews and Samaritans, as we find out. Because you know what? When you've got a condition like this, it doesn't matter who you're around. You're just glad to be around somebody. This is the picture here. Verse 12. He enters the village, and he's met by ten lepers. And they stand at a distance. Now, why does Luke tell us this? Because it's important for you to know that these lepers, they can't even, they, societal rules, that they can't even come close to anyone. They feel they can't even come close to Jesus. They feel that their condition has made them so gross and ugly that they can't even approach Jesus. So they stand at a distance and they lift up their voices. Often, leprosy would affect the throat and eventually affect larynx. And what would happen is you would you begin to lose your voice. It sounds like my voice today probably, except even worse. And you can just hear almost this raspy voice, Master, what do they say? Jesus, Master, have mercy. Have mercy on us. They're begging. They're begging for help. They're begging for alms, but don't you sense in their spirit they're begging for healing, begging for hope. Many of you guys uh, live in this area, and you find people up and down the streets. Often you'll have people approach you. Anybody ever had somebody approach you? Let me tell you, I'm not saying that I'm perfect at this, but one thing that God is teaching me, get to know people like that. They're people just like you're a person. They have a story. They have a heart. They have needs. I'm not saying that you should give out money every single time. I'm not even saying that money is what they need. But what I am saying, have compassion enough to look them in the eye, to have a conversation with them, to acknowledge that they're a real human being standing in front of you with real needs. That's the picture here. They're just asking for some attention, for some help, because you know what? If they don't ask, what, what are they going to have? All they have the ability to do is beg. And there's some people like that in our society today. And I pray that God would use us to show compassion and mercy on the least of these. So that's their condition. And they're begging and they call out to who? To Jesus. Now, Jesus surely was known in this day. There's a reputation that precedes Jesus. And I don't know, Luke doesn't tell us if they know exactly who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's likely that they did. But they do know enough to do this. They say, Jesus, and then they follow it with what? Master. 
There's a recognition that he is one over them. It's the same word that the disciples use in Luke chapter 5 to call out, Lord, Master. There's this recognition that he is one with authority, that he has power, and they're calling out. The only thing they can do is call out on his mercy. And Jesus sees them. And he doesn't go over to them like he did in Luke chapter 5 to touch them. But he calls out to them. And what does he say? Look at it there in your word. Verse 14. Go and show yourselves to the priest. Now the priest served as kind of the public health officers of the day. And I am so thankful that that is not my role here at this church. Y'all would be in trouble, and so would I. Um, but they were kind of the public health officers. So what was commanded in Leviticus was that if the lepers were cleansed, that they would have to go and show themselves to the priests, and there would be a sacrifice that's made for their sin, and there would be an offering that's made there. There would be this public display of the grace of God and of His glory, and there would be an offering of praise, and there would be an offering of worship, there would be an offering of atonement, and they would be sprinkled with blood. I think I described this last year. They would be sprinkled with blood on their ears and on their fingers and on their toes. A living display of the grace of God. But this was necessary for them to re-enter society. Jesus does something interesting. He says, go and show yourselves to the priest. He doesn't heal them right then and there on the spot, although he could have, and at times he did. He's telling them to go and show themselves to the priest. Now, why would he do this? Firstly, it amplifies the witness of the miracle, does it not? The fact that the priest and all those around the priest, the whole procedure of the priest was designed to showcase the glory of God and the healing of this person. And it would give Jesus much praise, which at this point he's willing to take because he's very close to the end of his life. But secondly, telling them to act before they received was a marker of their faith and obedience, was it not? It's similar to what God instructed Abraham to do when he said, go take Isaac, your son, and take him up to that altar and get him ready. You're going to give him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham had to act before God provided. The same thing that happened when Israel went to cross the Jordan River and the river didn't part, this huge flooding torrent. Can you imagine God instructing us as a church, all right, church, we're going to go and cross the Mississippi River today. Some of us are going to stand there and say, let me see that thing part before I walk across that thing. I'm going to want to be in Tunica tonight. All right? It's a similar kind of thing, but what do they have to do? God had promised that they would cross safely, but they had to put their toe in that water. And until they took that first step of faith, that river did not part. But when they did, it did. Sometimes the way that God works in our lives is that he's, pro he's made a promise and he's ready to provide, but he's waiting sometimes to see that you have faith enough to act in obedience to him. And then he will reveal himself. Y'all got it? This is what's happening here with Jesus. 
And then it says, as they went, what happened? As they went, they were cleansed. Now, I never get tired of hearing about the power and the compassion of Jesus. Do you? (laughs) Because if we're honest, I see myself in this leper. I may not look distorted. I may not look deformed. But deep down, I know that I'm in a place of helplessness and hopelessness if it were not for a powerful and compassionate Savior. I never get tired of seeing Jesus move into a place of grossness and sin and extend his hand, extend his voice to offer his grace in time of need. Isn't it wonderful what Jesus does here for these lepers? Can you imagine a life like this in in one touch, in one moment, cleansing? That's what Jesus offers you. A clean heart, a new beginning. The things that were lost put back into your life. God offers you cleansing and reconciliation, redemption, wholeness when you respond in faith. Isn't this amazing? This is the power and compassion of Jesus. If we keep reading there, look at verse 14 again. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Something interesting happens here in the story. It's the unexpected. There's a twist. One guy out of the ten on his way to the priest, you can only imagine. One guy out of the ten turns around and comes back. Why is Luke telling us this? This is the greatest evidence of the miracle of a new birth. One guy who met Jesus who heard the word of Jesus and who now has experienced the provision and power of Jesus, one guy out of ten, all ten received the same thing. All ten heard the same thing. All ten stood face to face with Jesus. All ten had been cleansed. But only one, only one, has a revelation of who this guy truly is. There is no way to explain what is happening here except for the miracle of the new birth, that God had opened his heart in such a way to have the epiphany that this is Jesus, God. This man 
It's the Savior. I wasn't just talking to somebody. I was talking to my Lord. There's this moment of awareness of you begin to realize you're cleansed. Can you just imagine how he felt and the implications of what had happened? But his first thought is not running to his family. His first thought is running back to the one who just cleansed him. And realizing that if this man can cleanse my skin, he can also cleanse my heart. And I want nothing more in my life at this moment than to be with this one who just changed me. This is God. And he runs back. And when he gets back, what's he do? What's it say? He falls down on his face before Jesus' feet. And he cries out with a loud voice. Now imagine the voice that was raspy, that was closed in, that had been constrained by muscle fatigue. Imagine now, I think Luke loves the fact that this guy is crying out with now his full voice. With a loud voice, he cries out. Praising God and giving him thanks. Isn't that beautiful? Let me tell you something. There's a reason that Luke is focusing on this one man out of the ten. Because this one man is about to walk away from here saved. Saved, cleaned in his heart, forgiven in his life, right in relationship with God, not just healed. He's going to walk away saved, and the other nine aren't. What's the difference with this one? He saw Jesus for who Jesus really is. Y'all, I'm just going to be honest. I've, I've, I've got things that I write down here. Sometimes I just forget about it. I am burdened that a lot of people who say they love Jesus really love what Jesus gives and don't love who Jesus is. It doesn't mean you're saved that you love to be healed of leprosy. It doesn't mean, I can go to any person on the street today and say, do you want to go to heaven? Everyone, with the exception of maybe a few crazy ones here in Memphis, I can almost guarantee you that everyone does. They're thinking about their meemaw and their papa, their dogs, all-you-can-eat buffets all the time. You know, people just conjure up whatever's heaven. Oh, sure, I want to go to heaven. I can go to anybody and say, do you want to avoid hell? I have never met a single person that will not say yes. Nobody wants to go to hell. But let me tell you, just because you want to go to heaven and just because you want to avoid hell doesn't mean that you love God. And people who don't love God will not be in heaven. Heaven is a miserable place for people who don't love God. Not God's gifts, God. Y'all tracking with me? Be a true believer in the sense that you love God more than anything else in your life. 
You don't come to God for what he gives. You come to God because he's God and he's wonderful. And it doesn't matter if he gives you good gifts or if he gives you hard gifts. If you have great days or if you have terrible days, God is still God and he is still wonderful. And he deserves worship and praise. Y'all tracking with me? There are a lot of people in this life who experience the grace of God like these nine lepers and will walk into eternal hell because they've never known God. The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You can wake up this morning and realize that, oh, the rain is coming. It's great. Thank you, God, for rain. You can thank God for food. You can thank God for this. You can thank God for that. You can go around thanking God for all of his gifts, but if you never have a relationship with God, you have nothing. Y'all tracking with me? You need to be a man. You need to be a woman who loves God. First and foremost, that your greatest desire, even in the midst of good gifts like this leper, is not to get cleansed or not to get the physical stuff, but to come back and give yourself, offer yourself as a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. That's what God wants. He wants you. He wants you. And you know what you need is not God's stuff. You need God. Everybody track it with me? The whole Christianity business. You know why Jesus came? Was not to give you, to guarantee you a nice job and a comfy salary and a nice house and healthy children, cancer-free life. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to save your soul from hell and to put you back into relationship with God. And if you think Jesus came to give you stuff, then on the day you get cancer, you'll turn around and curse him. And the day your child comes out deformed, you'll turn around mad. No, Jesus didn't come to give you stuff. He came to give you himself. And he's the greatest gift in the world. And it kills me that people get so obsessed with gifts and they forget who gave them. It kills me and it breaks God's heart too. God's not in the business of giving you stuff. He's in the business of giving you himself. And let me tell you, he's all you need. He can satisfy your heart. He's come to enter into your world of sin and to bring you back home. He's wonderful. Where's your heart today? Is it on the gifts or on the giver? The reason Luke points out this one is because he gets who Jesus is, and he's come back to give his due praise. Amen? You know what? Only the Spirit of God can change your heart from being enslaved to gifts to being enslaved to the giver. It's called the miracle of the new birth. In John chapter 3, Jesus is with a guy named Nicodemus, and he doesn't get it. Nicodemus is going, how in the world is it possible for me to have a relationship with you? And Jesus says, well, it's not really possible with you, but it is possible with God. Because, see, you have to be born again. And Jesus is like, I mean, Nicodemus is like, uh... You mean I got to come out of my mama? I got to go back in and come back out of my mama? Born again? Jesus says, no. You need to be born of the Spirit of God. There needs to be new life implanted in you. There needs to be a moment, just like in the beginning of time when God said, spoke into darkness and said, let there be light. 
There needs to be a moment in your heart where you are in a place of unbelief and spiritual darkness, and God speaks into your heart and says, let you come alive. And then at the moment of new life, spiritual life, comes the cry of faith, comes the satisfaction of Christ. Y'all see this? This, what happened in this guy, is a miracle. It is a greater miracle than his healed skin. It's because his heart has been healed to love Jesus. And I pray that this miracle has happened in all of you, and you can't do it on your own. It takes a cry of God to come in and change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. The third theme I see here in this text is the one of gratitude. Look at verse 17. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise. And go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is one of the most pitiful scenes in the Gospels. The nine who had received one of the most amazing grace gifts of God outside of salvation. This is so amazing. A leper destined to die cleansed and put back into right relationship with all those that they're around. Cleansed. What a grace gift. And only one returned to say thank you. And it astounds Jesus so much that the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is, where are the other ones? Were not there ten of you who I cleansed by my power? Healed by my compassion? Where are the nine? Why, why is there only one? He's teaching us something. He's teaching us about gratitude. I want to show you just a few quick points and then we'll be done. The first one is this. Gratitude comes as a natural response of grace. And it is a necessary part of faith. You will be grateful naturally from your heart when you truly understand grace. You will have a hard time being grateful from your heart. And you might could say thank you with your lips, but I'm talking about thank you from your heart. You're going to have a hard time with gratitude if you don't understand grace. And because of this, gratitude is an essential part of faith. Because if you don't understand grace, then there's no way you can have an honest cry of faith. Next slide. Gratitude overflows from those who sense that they are undeserving, realizing that any good gifts they receive are gifts of grace. You know why I think we have problems with gratitude? Because we truly don't think that we wouldn't have the things that we have otherwise. 
We think that the things that we have are things that we've earned. They're things that we deserve. They're things that we've worked for. They're things that are ours. And our pride rises up and crushes humility and any opportunity for gratitude. But when you truly understand, like we discussed last week, that everything in your life is owed to the grace of God, when you truly from your heart get God and his goodness and his grace toward you, gratitude is just a natural overflow. It just happens. Deborah told me this week, she said, there's a difference in thankfulness and gratitude. You can thank people for things that you could have done yourself, but when you're grateful, you're, you're expressing thanks for something that you know would have never been yours had it not been given to you. We're talking about gratitude today. An awareness that if God hadn't done this, it would not have been possible. That kind of awareness that, you know, you know the things that, you remember times in your life where you felt like you've had no control. We're in a place right now applying for a residency. When that news comes that God has given a residency, we're going to shout for joy. You know why? Because there's nothing that Michelle could do to control that process. It's going to be a grace gift when it comes. She, all she can do is apply, and then if they say yes, say thank you. Does that make sense? You know those times in life where you know that you're completely owed to somebody else's grace. This is what I'm talking about. And let me tell you, your whole life is owed to grace. Let me show you the next slide. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. This is why Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Chronicles 16. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Ephesians 5. Don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all of your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, you'll be giving thanks always. It'll be happening from the bottom of your heart. Colossians 1, 2, give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people and in the kingdom of light. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, let us always continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The scripture is full of helping you understand that your life is owing to God and that the right response to his grace in your life is thanks. Y'all with me? Thanks should be a natural overflow of your constant awareness of your own need in the grace of God. You should be living in thankfulness. It's continual. It's an overflow. The question is, are you this morning? Are you living in an attitude of gratitude? Are you a thankful person? Do you take time daily to sit with God and just say thank you? Thank you, God. Let me tell you today how I love you. Let me tell you what you've done for me. Let me thank you for your gifts. Let me thank you for your goodness. Let me thank you for your grace. The reality is the Bible says, the Bible assumes that if you know God's grace, you will be living in gratitude because you can't know grace and not be thankful. If you understand his grace, you will be thankful. Y'all with me?
Next slide. I want to show you this passage because I feel like this is where a lot of us are. This is God's word to the Israelites from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, the Israelites have just come into the promised land. Was the promised land anything that they did? No. It was promised to them, which is why it's called the promised land. It was promised to them. It was given to them. God fought for them to conquer this land. But just as grace gifts come in our life, there's a tendency toward ingratitude, and we have to be careful. He says here, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and decrees that I'm giving you. Otherwise, when you eat and when you're satisfied and when you build your fine houses and then when you settle down and when your herds and your flocks grow big and your silver and your gold increase and everything you have multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through vast and dreadful wilderness that was thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify to you today that you will surely be destroyed. I'm telling you, this is a life or death situation for you. Y'all listen to me. This is a life or death situation for you spiritually. You've got to maintain constant awareness of the grace of God. Amen? It is so easy when the job comes and the position comes, when your boss comes in and says thank you, when your children are healthy and well, when you've got good food to eat, it is so easy to start thinking, oh, things are good. Man, I'm cool. I did this. Look how cool I am. Look how hard I work. Look at all the stuff that I'm producing. And forget that your life is founded not on yourself, but on God's grace. And it's not for you to boast. It's for you to bow your knee and say, thank you, God. Thank you. And you know, gratitude puts you in a position of humility. You want to know how to live in humility? Constantly say thank you. Because if you're in constant awareness that it's not you, that you're having to thank other people, you're thanking God for what he's done, then it puts you in a position where you have to be humble. Track it with me? All right, I got to land this plane. I do. I see it in your eyes. There's a glaze. Let me give you some practical things, and then we're going to go. Next one. One more. Um... How do you express gratitude? I want you to write these down because this is how you integrate this into your life. (laughs) And then we'll be done. This is the last slide. Last slide. Practical slide, though. If you miss this, you miss the practical application for your own life. If you truly are aware of the grace of God, you will truly give thanks. I, these, this list is not to replace what only the Spirit of God can do in you. 
This is just to help discipline your life in the way of the Spirit of God. I can't make your heart see the grace of God and love His goodness. Only the Spirit of God can do that. But this is how you direct your life to be a reflection of that grace. First, you express gratitude consciously. Consciously. You know, in the Old Testament, God instructed over and over the people, you remember, to build what? Altars. You remember this? He would tell them, you kind of find it strange today, go build an altar, resurrect an altar to remember this place. Go build an altar to remember this place. Go build an altar to remember this place. You all got something when you came in the room today. What did you get? A rock. The reason I gave you a rock is because these altars were made of rocks. Somebody in college uh, told me about this jar of remembrance. Y'all ever heard of a jar of remembrance? It's kind of like an altar you can put in your own house, and I've had one and kept one. And what you basically do is you take a rock, and with thing, when, when the God moments in life happen, when you're just so thankful and so overwhelmed by God's grace, you take a rock and you write on it with a Sharpie, just a, a, a note of praise, a note of reminder, this is what God did. I've got people's names in here that have been saved and been praying for for years. I've got things in here that I prayed for and waited for and hoped for and God provided. There are things that I just consciously need to remember the Lord. And take time for praise. Think back in your own life. Your own salvation. Your own, maybe it's your family upbringing. Things that God has done in your own life. When's the last time you specifically said thanks for those things? It's easy to overlook them, isn't it? That's why we have to consciously make time for praise. Maybe that rock today, just sitting out on your desk or on your, in your car or wherever you put it, I hope that it will be a reminder of conscious praise. You need to set aside time to thank the Lord. And you need to put markers in your life when God does things. Write them down so that you can remember the goodness of the Lord. You got it? Secondly, praise quickly. Don't wait. Don't wait to say thank you. Don't wait to say thank you. Do it immediately. The harder... It becomes harder the longer you wait. I've got a thank you note this morning that I brought from uh, the house. I brought two of them. Um, y'all ever write thank you notes? Do you ever get thank you notes? It's, it's becoming, it's really sad. They're kind of going away with the electronic stuff. People just don't send thank you notes anymore. It's really sad. In our generation especially, I, I'm bad at it. I think other people are bad at sitting down and writing thank you notes. But directly, I'll go ahead and tell you this. This is an illustration that my dad sent me. That They were here. They left on Sunday. We had this note in our mailbox on Wednesday. <laughs> and, you know, when they left, I knew they were thankful. But there's a difference in being thankful and expressing thanks. Y'all track it with me? God doesn't just want us to be thankful. He wants us to say thank you and say it in a direct way. And say it in a specific way. Here, I mean, all these notes, they wrote paragraphs. We love the food and the muffins and the, the sheets and the, all, you know, all the, I don't know what they said in here. But they're going through lists, listing all the stuff that they loved about being in Memphis. You know, it's just wonderful to spend time with you. Well, what a blessing this is to me to receive, right? A direct thank you, a specific thank you. It's such a blessing. This is a thank you note from my friend Tammy. And uh, she's thanking me here for a camp. I served as a camp pastor for a 
a children's camp that she had organized. A few months after she wrote this note, Cami got diagnosed with late stage ovarian cancer, and she was dead in just a few months. I miss her to this day. On fire for the Lord. She loved the Lord. But this note hangs on my fridge. If she hadn't written it when she did, I don't know that I would have ever received it. This note is a note of specific thanks, expressed thanks. But she did it the week after camp, and I'm so glad she did. Take time now to thank the Lord if you're grateful, because you don't know that you have tomorrow. Thank God with humility, just like the guy falling on his face. Thank him vocally. Don't be scared to raise your voice and say, I thank you, God. You know what I'm saying? Some of us are so scared when we're around friends, especially friends that are not of faith. We're so scared to even say, thank you, God. You know what? You shouldn't be that way. When something happens at work, tell your, that's good, that's a grace gift, tell your coworkers, I'm so thankful that God did that for me. Tell them. Lift up your voice. Thank God for it, vocally, out loud. Thank God directly. Again, don't just be thankful. Thank him directly. Thank him specifically. And make sure your heart is toward the giver and not just the gifts. Above all, thank him for who he is and not just what he gives. Y'all with me? This is a good, good lesson from Luke 17. And I hope today that it's revealed your heart. And we're going to move into our time of response now. And then we will bring our service to a close. You can always, um, there's a direct correlation in your life today between how much you value the grace of God and how much you're thanking him for it. Because one thing happens in your life and you can't avoid it is you naturally thank people. You naturally praise things that you love. And if you find yourself in a position today where you haven't said thank you recently, or you don't feel like your heart is one of gratitude, then what that might indicate is that you are distant from the grace of God. That you're not in a position where you're cherishing His grace and loving His grace and sitting with Him and allowing His presence to move you to natural express gratitude. If you're in that place today, I just invite you back. I invite you back to behold a wonderful Savior, a powerful, compassionate Savior who has done all that He could do to offer you what you need most, and that is a relationship with Him. If you have never trusted Jesus with your life, I invite you to do what this leper did today. Fall before him. Cry out to him. Ask for his mercy. Praise him. Behold him as a wonderful Savior. Give your life over to him. Turn from your past and place yourself in his hands, and he will look at you and say, your faith has made you well. If you are a believer and you've just walked away from an attitude of gratitude, I ask that you today would cry out from the bottom of your heart that God would make you grateful, a truly grateful person for his grace, that in any and all circumstances you could have joy and thanksgiving because you know that he is good. And if you mean that today, God will give you that heart. So let's pray and respond. God, thank you for our time today. We thank you for what you've taught us in your word. And Lord, we just... uh, 
We just ask, Lord, that by your spirit that you would make us a thankful people. Help us to cherish you above all things in life, including the good gifts that you give. Forgive us, God, for being part of the nine, a recipient of your good gift and one that never comes back to say thank you, God. We repent of that attitude. Help us to be the one who lives at your feet, who lives in an attitude of gratitude saying, thank you, God, you're good. Help us with every grace gift that we receive, whether it's just looking up at a night of stars, whether it's tasting food and knowing it's good, whether it's a miracle and an answer to prayer, whether it's just our salvation, God, everything that we taste and see is good. I pray that we would directly come to you and just say, thank you, God, you are good. Help us to live in this way, God, for this is your will in Christ. And we pray it for your glory. Amen. Church, just stand as we respond this morning. We're just going to spend this time just in praise to our Lord. We're going to sing that first song we did again this morning. I just invite you just in a spirit of gratitude and a spirit of excitement and anticipation about all that the Lord has done in your life. Just lift up the words of the song with us. Oh, there is an endless song It goes in my soul I hear the music ring And the storms, and though the storms may come I am holding on And to the church just with hearts of gratitude how can i keep from singing your praise how can i ever say enough how amazing is your love how can i keep from shouting your Let's just sing that one more time. 
See you. 